Hey, good morning. <clears throat> Hello, everybody here? We good? You good? Good morning. Okay, there we go. All right. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's one of those cool things when, um, when you have something planned and then, you know, unbeknownst to you, God brings in an element that you didn't plan, but that was just perfect for the moment. And uh, so this morning reading Psalm 23 was, was just, uh, I don't know, it was, it was pretty interesting for me. And, and that'll make more sense here in just a second, okay? Um, you know, we always talk about, uh, like, I don't know, pretty regular basis, right? Luke will get up and say, or Stephen will get up and say something to the effect of, uh, we understand that on a Sunday morning, uh, you don't leave your life at the door, right? Like you come in and your troubles and your thoughts, your stresses, your joys, your successes, like they all come in with you, right? And, you know, uh, today I, I kind of want to start by letting you guys know just kind of what's been going on in our lives, like what's been going on for us the last few days. And so just to kind of clarify that, uh, what I mean by that is you know, Friday was the Friday the 13th, right? Everybody Ooh, Friday the 13th in October. Whoa, right? Um, so the last time, and this is kind of where, like, it's going to, like, just fair warning. It's like, the last time that it was Friday the 13th was 2017. Okay? Uh, and I know that because the last time it was Friday the 13th in October, I was performing my mom's funeral. Um, and so I don't say that to like bring, like, I don't know, we're like, woo, and then like, it's like, okay, so just, just bear with me for a second, okay? Um, so I was performing mom's funeral. Uh, it was cancer. Uh, they had given her six months, and she made it eight years, uh, so that's pretty good. Uh, it was uh, a rare form of carcinoid cancer. It was, um, it, it was in her pancreas, in her, in her liver, it was in her... Her, her stomach and her, her intestines, and it was immune to radiation and chemotherapy. It was undetectable by scans. They found it uh, just kind of by fluke, and then they went in and said, hey, we've got we've to go in and we've got to fix this. So they did this thing called a Whipple procedure where they take part of your pancreas and your duodenum, which is part of your stomach, uh, your intestines, and they take all those out, the, all the cancer pieces, and then they put it back to be together as best they can. It's a very painful surgery. Uh, they told us at the time, they said the, the shelf life on this is like six months and usually six months to a year. And usually the problem is with that particular, especially the pancreatic stuff, right, is that <clears throat> they can't figure like he, getting enough nutrients in them for them to continue going is really the big struggle. And so mom was an RN. She had a, a bunch of other letters that went along with that. She had taught uh, nursing and like she was really, really, really good nurse. And turned out dad was a really good nurse too. Um, he, he didn't know it, uh, but he thought he was retiring to go have fun. And um, anyway, and we did, we still had a lot of fun. So I don't want to be a total downer, but, um, but uh, they, the short version is on that. They figured out how to feed her. Uh, and it was this weird combination of like, I guess probably, uh, have you ever heard of the Atkins diet, right? Like, okay, so they've got those Atkins shakes that they sell at the store and so it was a combination of those and like fat-free dairy lactose-free sugar-free ice cream i'm not sure what it was made out of right like i mean if you take all those if you think about it like this is ice cream what is what's in it um but it was a combination of that stuff and so they made these shakes out of it and she was able to eat that and keep enough nutrients in her that uh, that she was able to to have a, 
man, a, a, a good long time. Um, so some of you guys may know, like, uh, all the different types of cancers have, like, different colors, right? So when I say this was a weird type of cancer, right? So, like, breast cancer is pink, colon cancer is brown, right? Like, so those all make sense to us. And then all the different types of cancers, whether it's a type of cancer or a location of the cancer, like, they have, they have different colors. So, like, if you're going for cancer, like, if, you're, if it's National Carcinoid Cancer Day, right? Like, they have a national day for everything, right? So if it's that day, uh, so all these different colors, all these different types of cancers, are, they're usually just a solid color, like pink or, or brown or purple or something like that. And mom's was so rare and so weird that her color was actually zebra print, right? I mean, how, how weird and kind of sort of horribly cool is that, right? Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, seeing those dates roll back around, and they line up that same way. It just, it kind of like, you know, so on the 10th, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, that's, I'm remembering all those events, right? Cause it's the 10th again, like it's the 10th and it's like on the same day and it's all, it gets in your head a little weird, right? And then Friday, it's kind of the same way. You know, every year when those dates roll around, it comes to the anniversary, you think about that stuff, right? But like this year being on the same days kind of makes you realize like that this time has passed. Right? Like it's, it's like an anniversary of the anniversary, if that makes any sense at all. Right? Uh, and it kind of makes you think and acknowledge like, wow, it really has been, it's been like six years. That, that's insane. Because um, it doesn't feel like that long. Right? You guys, anybody? <clears throat> and the thing is, 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 you know, I don't tell you this stuff um, for sympathy. I'm okay-ish. Right? Um, but at the same time, I'm really not, right? Like we have those things in our lives that like we go through and, and we get over them and we move on and life finds a new normal. And it's funny how that phrase never means better to, right? Have you noted like through COVID, they're like, hey, the new normal, not great. Didn't enjoy their new normal, right? Like, um, but we kind of have, you know, like we found this new pace and, and, and you know, those things. Um, but the thing is, is that I, I know that some of you guys are in the middle of some really hard things too, Right? Um, some of you guys are in the middle of some amazing things, right? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, some of them are life-changing. They're these incredible things. And I think that it's, the reason why I bring all this up is because I think that it is incredibly important that as a family, we share those, right? Does that make sense? Um, because personally, I've seen firsthand <clears throat> the difference that the church being a family can, can have when your life is, is falling apart around you, right? People that loved on my parents through it all, right? People that, that um, loved on our kids. People that loved on Jess and I. I remember there was this guy, his name was Gene. He was the minister at the church that I worked at when mom first got sick. And Gene... He was a weiss. It doesn't mean anything to you guys, but he's, he was an incredible human, right? And Gene was, I don't know, when, when I got to Unionville, he was in his 70s, maybe mid-70s, and he was just this incredible minister, right? Uh, he would do funerals and weddings, and, like, he just made it look easy, and, like, he... But his, his thing, like, where his heart was, was, like, hospital calling and things like that. And so, <clears throat> when, when my... And so, just to kind of give you an idea, like, there were times where... And this, I don't know, maybe this will sound crazier here, but it was, it was incredible, is that he would, anybody from the community, like anybody in our county, right, 
that, and of course our county was smaller than like a, a Galway County, but like anybody in Putnam County <clears throat> that had a surgery, whether they went to our church or not, he was there. Like he would, sh and usually before they went in for surgery so he could pray with them first. So I'm talking like four in the morning, you know, in St. Louis, which is like a, you know, four and a half hour drive, he was there. And uh, I mean, he showed up for every surgery mom had, uh, you know, he, he, it was just, it was incredible. And then I remember it was the second, cause she ended up having to have like a, the Whipple redone, which is horrible. Um, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and like, you know, we were going, we were staying in St. Louis, we were staying in hotels, like we were doing everything we could, but like financially it was a big strain. We didn't complain about it. We didn't say anything. And one morning before it was time for us to go, like he came over and he just handed us this envelope gave us a hug and prayed for us. And then we looked in, it was like 500 bucks. And he said, it's just to cover, it's just to cover hotels and stuff. Like you guys can't afford to do all this. And so like, like firsthand, I've seen the kind of impact that this idea can have, right? So like, I'm not just saying like, hey, this is a good idea theoretically. I'm saying like, I have experienced the blessing of this and I want you to share in that. Um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes it, it kept us going, right? It encouraged us. It allowed us to be broken and loved, right? And I hope that all of you have had or someday will have that type of experience. Obviously not the cancer part, right? That, that was terrible. But I hope that when you're at your lowest or your highest or all the range of the in-between, that you would experience that type of relationship within the body, right? In a world where mistrust and skepticism, cynicism and isolation are the norms. They kind of rule the day, right? I believe that relationships, the, the relationships offered in the body of Christ are a breath of oxygen when we're drowning, right? And I think it feels a little bit like home, right? So the question then today is, is how do we live as a remnant exiled from our home? In the last few weeks, we've been looking at some different things uh, that we can, we can do to kind of help us survive as a remnant, right? With the goal being to make it home and take as many people with us as possible, right? Okay, we're tracking so far? The goal isn't to shelter in place, right? It's to storm the gates, right? Everybody, yeah? Not just to survive as a remnant, but to thrive and to watch the kingdom expand around us. So the first survival tool that we talked about the first week of this series was not surprisingly a deep relationship with Jesus, right? Like the first thing that you need to survive as a remnant, to thrive, to watch the church grow, is that you need a relationship with Jesus. More than just church on Sunday, and not just one of the things in your life, but the thing that your life is built and revolves around, right? The second survival essential uh, that Luke talked about last week is, is this idea of cultural discernment. Right. Like being able to see what it is the culture is trying to feed you, being able to filter it through the lens of the Bible, through biblical literacy and being able to know, OK, like this is a good path. This is a bad path. Right. Being able to see clearly. John 10, 14, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That's the essence of this idea. Right. He goes on in 1027, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. The basic concept is that if we know his voice, if we know his word, we'll be much harder to fool, right? Our, our culture uh, will have a much harder time. 
turning us from his leading if we know what his voice sounds like. Have you guys ever, you guys, um, I don't know, you guys probably, some of you guys have maybe been to youth group stuff. Some of you guys have never done that type of stuff. But there was this game that we used to play in youth group. And, and I think it, 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 it paints this picture in a really cool way. So what it is is you've got like, you'll have like four teams, right? And, and from each team, <clears throat> you pick out somebody who is blindfolded and you put them at four corners. And you put this object out in the middle or you, you create this obstacle course. And the whole idea is that that team is supposed to walk this person who's blindfolded through this maze or to this object. And, but the trick is, is that all these other people are screaming all at the same time right? They're all trying to get their person to the thing. And sometimes if you've got a particularly crafty group, they won't just be yelling for their person. They'll be yelling bad advice to somebody else, like to the other teams, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about with this idea is that in the middle, in the middle of a world where there's all this noise and all this distraction and all this stuff going on, it's, it's, it's important for us to know what Jesus' voice sounds like. And the third survival, essentially, that we're going to talk about this week, uh, that we're going to try to live as a, a, a remnant, like this is our survival tool in exile, is, the, is this idea of meaningful relationships, right? Like, so we, we need a relationship with Jesus. We need to be able to know his voice and, and discern when the culture is trying to, to fool us and point us in the wrong direction. But that happens in community, right? Like, we have to have each other. Um, <clears throat> you can't do this on your own. We need the accountability, the encouragement, the love, and the tangibility, right? Like the being able, like we know Jesus, we have a relationship with him, but those people sitting next to you are sitting next to you, right? There's, there's a, a level of, of availability there where they can speak God's word to you person to person, face to face, Right? And we need that. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. You may say, all I need is God. I don't need to go to church to be near God, right? You guys have heard that a million times, right? Like you guys have heard, if you haven't said it, you've heard somebody who has, right? And you're not wrong. You're just close, okay? Right? <clears throat> because what we're missing when we say that is that God often uses our brothers and sisters as his hands and feet and even sometimes his voice. Right? We were designed to function in community. We can look to the early church to confirm these ideas. And, and the verse that I always go back to for stuff like this is Acts 2:42 through 47. Right? Like, if you haven't, memorize it. It's amazing. You want to know what the early church was doing and how it was going? There it is. It was going awesome. Right? Was it easy? Was it perfect? Was it flawless? No, there were people involved, but it was working. Right? And here's what it says. Acts 2.42-47. Again, if you haven't, read this passage, memorize this thing. It's incredible. It says this. Here's what the early church was doing. The church started just verses before this. Right? Peter gets up, gives his sermon. He goes, hey, you guys crucified the Christ. They're cut to the heart. They say, what do we do? Then they do it, and the church starts on the day of Pentecost. Right? And so verse 42-47 through says this. They were continually... And I went with the New American Standard because it includes that word, right? The rest of them all say they were devoting. And I think they were devoting is, is right, 
But the thing that I think it misses that this, this little word catches is that they were continually devoting. Like this wasn't something that they did once, they made a commitment, they raised their hand, and then they moved on. This was something that they did every day. This was a habit. This was a pattern of life, right? It says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Do you want to know what Jesus' voice sounds like? There it is, right? Like, so a lot of this stuff that we're already talking about, this is included, right? So they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, right? It's kind of what we're talking about today a little bit, right? That's a big part of it. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many other wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's, here's the thing. You want to know how that was going? Here it is. Verse 47. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Not only did they operate in community, they operated in a community that was so inspiring and so weird and so encouraging and so incredible that people were attracted to it, right? And God used them to draw more and more people to himself. Was it perfect? No, there were people involved, right? Was it flawless? Absolutely not. Were there problems? You bet. But continuously, day after day, Minute after minute, hour after hour, they were working together towards getting home. And it was working. It's important to recognize that this is what they were doing. And it was working. God was blessing it. Is it a magic formula? No. Uh, but it's a good idea. Right? It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Right? It's not a script. It's a model. Right? He's not saying, you know... Uh, this is the exact pattern you must, or this is the, these are the exact words you have to use, but he's saying, here's the pattern. Here's the pattern. This stuff is important here. So is this just a New Testament idea, right? If it was, that would be enough. But as it turns out, this theme runs all the way through the Old Testament. From Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, we see what happens when family goes wrong. From Noah to Abraham to Moses, the kings, the prophets, all of that happens within the context of relationships. Some of them are standards that we look, look up to, like David and Jonathan, right? If you haven't read that story, it's incredible. You want to see what friends look like? It's, it's, it's amazing. Also, Jonathan's pretty cool, right? Like he, I, there's a whole, like one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is, is about Jonathan. And the short version is, He's on one side of the cliff. The Philistines are on the other side of the cliff. And he tells his buddy, he says, hey, let's go over there and, and, and take these guys out because I'm tired of this. And, and he says, so here's the plan. We're going to climb down and then we're going to go. Um, if, if they holler down to us and say, hey, come up here, we'll go ahead and we'll, come, we'll go up there because we'll know God has delivered them into our hands. But if, if they don't, we'll stay here and, and that'll pretty much that'll be it. And, and he says this phrase, he says, maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. 
So he goes into this plan knowing that God is capable, but with, with no assurity that, that's, that God's going to approve his plan. But he just wants to do it. It's, I don't know. It's a really cool story. That's extra. That was not included in here. But it's neat. I really like that story. So First and Second Samuel, good stuff. Um, anyway, so we, we, some of them are, are examples that we look up to, like Jonathan and David, and some of them are warnings, like Cain and Abel, right? What happens when, when, when we don't do this right? Uh, hopefully we don't murder each other, right? So that'd be a pretty stark warning. But, you know, um, weird things have happened. Um, so Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes about this idea, right? In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, he says this. He says, two people are better off than one, right? For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. See, even, even, I mean, this is Solomon, right? This is the guy that we know to be the wisest man who made some of the most foolish choices, but the wisest man other than Jesus that ever lived. This is what he says. He says, don't go it alone. He says, if you fall down, who's going to pick you up? If you get attacked, who's going to have your back? It's a silly thing to go out there into the wilderness alone. And, and make no mistake, our world is, is a wilderness. So Solomon's dad, David, and the other writers of the Proverbs have these things to say, just in case, you know, those weren't enough. Here's, here's what they say. It says, uh, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Bad friends, right? That's, that's Proverbs 13, 20. 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 1824 Proverbs, by the way, again, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I like this one. So uh, both of these, it's, it's Proverbs 27. You might, if you're taking notes, you might jot those down. Proverbs 27, uh, verses 5 and 6 and verse 17, both I think are gold. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Okay, have any of you guys ever had a friend and you know they're going down the wrong path, but you didn't want to say anything because you didn't want to lose the friend? That's what this is talking about. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And, and here's the phrase I really love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's, that's, our, that's our job as a church, right? Not to wound each other all the time, but like if we see one of our brothers and sisters going towards the edge of that cliff, we love them enough to tell them to stop. Right? Like, hey, you're headed toward danger. This is going to hurt. This could potentially end you. Like, I want you to go home with, you know, that's a weird way to say it, but like, I want you to end up home, right? It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but enemies multiply kisses. So, again, just the sticky words of slimy people. And then 2717 say this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Right? I mean, we need that, that relationship in order to continue to be put, because there are things that I'm not going to want to do because they're uncomfortable, right? And I need you to push me, and you need me to push you, right? Does that make sense? 
Everybody with me? Okay. So the New Testament writers, they follow right along with this theme, not surprisingly. From Romans to Revelation, every book contains exhortations to love one another and the world around us. Try to find, try to find a book that doesn't include it in the New Testament. Love doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in relationship with one another. In every letter, you can hear the concern in the voice of the apostle because they genuinely love their flock. Paul and Timothy are a great example. Paul calls Timothy my true son in the faith, right? And devotes two whole letters to helping him as he tries to minister, right? Now, granted, there were other things he was trying to accomplish through those letters, right? Other things that he's trying to kind of step in in his authority and say, hey, guys, that's dumb. Don't do that. But he's also writing to encourage his son in the faith, right? It's a relationship. Almost every problem the early church dealt with, when the apostle wrote to them, they would try to help them through their issue theologically, but eventually the, the, they would end up with the equivalent of something along these lines. And other than that, love each other. Right? He's like, here's the theological answer. Here's, here's where it's all going wrong. But really, honestly, guys, the solution She's got to love each other. You know, a big part of the problem, guys, is you, you're not treating each other very good. Right? For whatever reason that may be, right? The expectation is, is that the church is a community. We don't go to church. We are church. Let me do that one more time. Did you catch it? We don't go to church. We are church. Right? The body of Christ, His hands and feet here on earth. That's us. Doesn't mean He can't move on His own. He obviously can. But He chooses to use us as His instruments. He chooses to include us in the process. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 26. He has this to say about this idea. Uh, he's talking to the church. They're having troubles, Right? They're, they're arguing, they're fussing, they're, 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 they can't get along. And so Paul comes in and he's writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. And, and, and in chapter 12, verse 12, he says this. He says, the body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. And here's this is this is interesting because some of like some of us in here, we read this part and we feel like, oh, I've, I've felt that before. And here's what he says. He says, if the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. Have you ever wanted to be somebody else or to have somebody else's giftings? Or to, to, to kind of live their life because it seems like it would be easier than yours, right? That's kind of what Paul's talking about here, right? He's saying the, the foot can't, it, it, you know, it, he says, if the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body, right? If the ear says, which is a funny thought, the ear talking, right? Anyway, nothing? Okay, all right, come on, that's weird. Okay, if the ear says... I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye. What would, would that make it any less a part of the body? No, the, the answer is no. These are such ridiculous examples that they're all going, well, duh, no, right? 
And that's, that's kind of what he's saying to us. It's like, you're part of the body. And just because you don't feel special or you don't feel like, you know, like maybe they got a better place or they got a better gifting than you did or, you know, they came with different skills and abilities than you did, it doesn't make you any part of, less of the body. He says, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Right? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? And there have been some times at our house it would be okay if we couldn't smell anything, right? I don't want to get into that too deeply, but... Verse 18, but our body has many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. I just want to just like ruminate on that for a second. Like, think about that for a second. Like, all those times where we feel like we're not enough, where we feel like we don't have a whole lot to offer, where we feel like we're not good enough. God doesn't make mistakes. He wants you as a part of the body, and He made you exactly the way He made you on purpose so that you would be that particular part of the body. I just think that's important. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, and this is a beautiful verse, okay? Like, write this down. This is, if you're taking notes, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22, okay? 12, 22, you got it? In fact, some of the parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. The word the NIVU uses is indispensable. We can't do it without you. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require that special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members. Nobody has any right to get a big head or think that they're better than the person sitting next to them. Because the reality is the only reason any of us get to sit here in a relationship with God is because of what Jesus did. So verse 26, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Isn't that an incredible passage? That's the kind of relationship we're talking about. You're, you're not just out there doing this on your own. You're a part of the whole. You're a part of the body. We need you. We can't do this without you. Now, now, could we limp along without a foot? Yeah, we could. We could. And sometimes we have to, right? But the body is better off with that foot, right? Is everybody picking up what I'm laying down? Is it tracking with me? Now, it's worth noting that this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you know what comes after 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Chapter 13. Chapter 13. That is correct. Chapter 13 is an entire passage. It's a big old chunk of scripture that all it does is it talks about what love looks like and what it is and how we do it. You know why? 
Because this whole church being a body thing is hard because the church is full of people and we are notoriously idiots, right? We do dumb stuff. And sometimes we do that dumb stuff to each other. And so this whole chapter 13, he said, chapter 12, he says, you guys are the body. You belong. We need you. And he says, here's how it'll work. Like, here's how it's going to thrive is, is if you love one another. And here's what that means. Here's what that looks like. It's hard. It's weird. It's unusual. The world, it's not going to make any sense to them, right? So it's a whole section devoted to telling the body of Christ how to treat one another, to tell them that this is what love looks like and this is how we're supposed to treat each other, which he had to say because we're humans and, and just like us, they were humans and prone to stupidity, right? Do dumb stuff. Uh, Bonhoeffer and this is a quote I got from a book we were reading here recently, has this quote that Bonhoeffer in his, in his book Life Together says that we don't merely bear one another's burden. The true burden is bearing one another. Right? Okay? Now, honestly, there are some places that I've been that that's way more true than others, right? Like, you guys are pretty easy to love on, right? I've been some places where it was harder, right? Um, you know, you go to, to bear one another and they'd start kicking you, you know, like it was tough. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's true. You know, there, there's some times in life where I've, I've had occasion to feel that idea deeply, right? But as a part of the body of Christ, we have a huge opportunity in a world that is feeling more and more disconnected than it ever has, right? Did you know? that studies have shown that adults are twice as likely to be lonely as they were a decade ago. Think about that for a second. Two, twice as likely to be lonely than they were a decade ago. How is that possible? Think about it. I mean, all the tools that we have in the palm of our hand at our disposal, they give us the ability to connect with people at any moment, right? Like we, <clears throat> smartphones, they provide unlimited ways to connect. Like, we, we use it on a weekly basis to talk to Dad and Israel, right? It's, it's incredible because, and he is all the time comment, like commenting, my dad, that is, commenting on how nice it is. He's like, oh, this is great. This is really great. Because he lived in Germany uh, back in the 60s and 70s for about eight years. And while he was living in Germany, the only way that he could call home was that he had to walk to the post office and make a collect call on their phone, Right? So if nobody was there, didn't work. If they didn't accept, it didn't work. Like there were all these things and he was only able to do that about once a year because of the cost, right? His family didn't have a ton of money. So like once a year he got to talk on the phone to his, to his family. He was over there for eight years. His mom died while he was gone. Like there's just this, you know what I mean? Like he, so all the time he's like, this is really nice. Like this is really, really cool. Like we can talk all the time. He doesn't like to do video call, which I don't entirely understand because it'd be nice to see his face, but We'll take the regular phone call that we can get. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, and, and they used to have to send letters, if you can imagine, right? Like that was a thing, right? So, so technology is great, right? But the thing is, is that even with that technology, most people now are feeling even lonelier than they ever have. So what's the, what's the disconnect? Where's this happening? And so we've been reading this book, Faith for Exiles, and there's this quote in there. <clears throat> that I really liked. I think it kind of sums this idea up. It says, while screens can provide a plethora, 
which means a lot. If anybody didn't know, that's a big word. Um, that's, that's my $5 word for the day, but I, it's, it's his fault, okay? Um, while screens can provide a plethora of opportunities to connect, we're spending more and more, more hours in digital bubbles, rarely interacting in a meaningful way with real human beings. Um, probably the most compelling example of this I've seen communicated in a way that everybody's like, wow, huh, that is weird, is, is the movie WALL-E, okay? <clears throat> so in WALL-E, they're stuck on the ship, and WALL-E's down there, WALL-E, he's down there like collecting trash, and like, he's like the recycle robot, he's like the only one left, it's very sad. But then the people that are up on the spaceship are all like riding around on these like, they levitate, so that's cool, but they're basically like recliners, like barco loungers, like, like lazy boys. And they're sitting there in these with these screens in front of them. And there's people right next to them that they never talk to because they're talking to them on the screen, right? And it's this cool moment where like the ship, sorry, if you haven't seen it, you've had time. I don't want to spoil it for you, but here's what happens next. The ship ends up crashing, right? And everybody comes down and they get on earth and the, the screens are all shut off and they kind of start walking around, like really kind of waddling around because they're huge, right? Because all they did was sit around and eat and play on their phones. I don't know if there's a message in there too, but that's a different thing. But, <clears throat> but they're, they're waddling around, they're talking to each other, and they're, they're, there's like this moment where they're all looking around going, hey, hey, and there's like this connection that's made because it's different face-to-face -face in person, right? Screens aren't our only problem relationally, right? But I think it's important to recognize the danger that they pose to real relationships, because they do. Um, think about all the things that we used to have to do awkwardly, right? Like if I wanted to ask a girl out, I had to call her and ask her, like over the phone, or worse yet, face-to-face, -face. terrifying, right? Breaking up, they can do that over text now. That's not fair, right? That's not fair. Like. You don't even have to look me in the eye to tell me you don't want to be around me anymore. Like, I feel, you know what I mean? And some of those things, those awkward moments, they build this character in us relationally. Like, there are things that we wouldn't say in person that we would say over keyboard warriors, right? Like, that's the thing. Everybody's seen it on social media, right? And so not all of those awkward moments or those difficult conversations should be avoided, right? So <clears throat> lastly, I want to leave you with the, the two most compelling passages for me <clears throat> concerning our need to exist in community. Here they are. These, these are them. So again, if you're taking notes, this first one is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers, you notice that word he says there, your family of believers, I think it's, it's important, okay? Your family of believers all over the world, they're going through the same kind of sufferings you are. So I use this passage, and I think that this passage is so crucial because Peter here says, be alert, be sober of mind. He uses that phrase, like three or four different times in 1 Peter, right? He says, be alert, be sober-minded, like be, be observant, right? Like we took our first driving lesson um, 
Monday or Tuesday, I don't remember, it was sometime last week, which is a lot like having a guy teach you how to make a cup of tea, if you're wondering <laughs> how that goes after you've been driving for 30 years. Uh, but one of the things he said is that like when we're coming up to the roundabout, he's like, you gotta be looking further ahead, right? You gotta be alert, you gotta be looking, you gotta be watching. It's defensive driving, right? Like you are aware of the people around you in case something happens, you're not distracted, you're paying attention, like all that stuff. That's what Peter's talking about here. He says, be alert, be sober-minded, because your enemy wants to kill you. They want to devour you. And he uses this illustration of a lion, right? <clears throat> and we've all seen it on TV, right? How do lions hunt? Anybody has seen a nature document where a lion was hunting and you're just fascinated? You're like, okay, I, I, you know, I'm not really gonna watch the whole documentary, but since there's a hunt going on, I'll stick around until they catch whatever it is or not, and then I'll change the channel, right? Anybody else? No? Yeah. Yeah, that's the way I am. <clears throat> but the thing is, we've seen it on TV. And, <clears throat> and how do they hunt? First, they're sneaky, right? <clears throat> they get down in the grass. You can't see them, right? They don't want their prey to know what's coming, right? Second, they almost always, and this is, this is really the key principle here, is that they almost always look for someone who's alone, unprotected, and not paying attention with nobody to warn them, right? You got that little goofy little, you know, gazelle dancing, frolicking over there by himself in the field, not paying attention, you know, he's wandered off from mom and the lion's like that one, right? <laughs> right? You're the, essentially, you had like the kid in the, in the baseball, well, field, like instead of playing the game, he's like picking flowers and spinning around in circles. That was my kids, anyway. Um, they're very artistic, not incredibly athletic. Uh, don't tell them I said that. I'm sure this will never get back to them. Um, <clears throat> so they're always looking for somebody who's alone, who's unprotected, not paying attention with nobody to warn them. And then third, they strike like lightning, don't they? Powerfully, without warning. And if you're caught unaware, or unprepared, your chances of survival go way down, right? And sometimes you'll see those gazelles where they're alone, they're off by themselves, and the lion like busts out of there and comes at them. They have that like, oh crap moment, right? Like, right? Where they're like, and then they go running like crazy, okay? Now, <clears throat> the thing is, is that maybe you get lucky a few times, right? But if you live like that, it will eventually catch up to you, right? The devil is relentless, and he wants you to, to fail. We need each other. It's so easy to, to focus on the individual side of our relationship with Jesus. But it was never designed to be a solo sport. So the second and, and most compelling, in my opinion, passage for me on why I should change my habits, even if it makes me uncomfortable. Anybody? My wife is like a severe introvert. Okay. You may not know this. She fakes it, but that's what it is. When she acts outgoing and stuff like that, like when she gets home, she has to take a nap. Okay, like it's for real, like a severe introvert. And, and so like this idea of community, sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's not always, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it's just hard. <clears throat> but the, the most compelling passage for me on why I should change my habits, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it's a little awkward, 
and to lean into this family of believers is this. It's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And if you're writing down notes, this is, this is the one. Write this one down. Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, you can't do that if you're not ever around one another. You can't. And here's the, here's the real kicker. He says this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. You know, one of the biggest things that has run people off from the church is watching the church treat itself poorly. Like watching the fighting and the arguing and the, <clears throat> the church splits over carpeting or paint color and the stupid nonsense that we decide is worth arguing about. And people look at, from the outside in and they go, why, the, why would I sign up for that? It looks like more drama. But when you've got a group <clears throat> that is loving on each other the way Jesus loved us, that is an altogether different picture. That is, that is incredible. Jesus commands it, right? I can't follow him and not love the church. I can't do it. It's not possible. This is his bride. This is his family. He loved you so much. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us. We have to be willing to love each other in that same self-sacrificing way. If we do, not only will our lives be better, because they will be, your life will be enriched, okay? <clears throat> it's the thing about serving other people. You go into it thinking you're helping them, but really the person that you're helping more than anything is you, right? Not only will our lives be better, but, but we as a church will be so attractive, right, to the world. We'll be a light that shines so brightly. We'll be such an attractive fragrance, right? Like, like fresh cinnamon rolls, right? Where when people around us walk by, they jerk their head up and go, ooh, what was that? Right? I mean, when the church is loving itself, that's what it's like. Is that the world outside looks at it and goes, what is that? I don't have that. And the thing is, is that they can't ever see that example of us loving each other if we don't love each other. And that happens in community. It happens in person. Now, it doesn't mean it can't happen in other ways. That we Sometimes we don't have to use other tools and, and do it remotely. It does. You know what? Sometimes life makes it unavoidable. But when we get the opportunity, we take the opportunity to love on each other in person, right? Now, <clears throat> we will mess up. We will do this wrong. Okay? Understand that. We will fall short. But just like God has had grace on us, if we have grace on each other, we will eventually make it home together. And so today, that's, that's the challenge is, is, you know, you want to survive as a, as a remnant, you know, in, in exile where, where the, world, the world is telling us, you know, all these things and trying to point us in all these directions. Honestly, what I really want for us is to make it home where... Where 
with this relationship, like this celebration that we enjoy on a Sunday morning is the norm. Like, I want to go home, right? Not, not home Missouri or home Uchtarard. I want to go home. And I want you guys to come, right? Like, I want to spend the rest of forever with you guys. And I think that our best chance of making it there is together. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, God, we just acknowledge it's so awesome.